Is it time for your business to pay it back? Hello, I'm William Eastman, executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. And if this is your challenge as a business owner, then don't miss a single show. Either listen live at 10 o'clock every Saturday on WLEE News Talk 990 or download our podcast at richmondbizlive.com. Every show, we tackle those issues in marketing, sales, people, customers, and finance that are limiting your success. If it's time to get paid back for your years of investment and sacrifice, join us this Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Biz Live. Good afternoon, Richmond. Live from the studios of WLEE News Talk 990, this is Richmond Biz Live. And finally, for those business owners here in Richmond, there's a resource for you uh, to realize your dreams. Uh, your dreams. <laughs> Easy for me. Going too fast here. We're the number one business talk show in Richmond and are dedicated to removing the obstacles for growing and selling your business. Okay, our goal. Here's what we're going to be doing every show about. And this is the, the beginning of season three. Is about you, the owners. Get that dream back on track. We know what it feels to invest years in your business and the personal sacrifices this requires to grow a company, and it's time to get it back, and we understand that very well because we live it day-to-day. Richmond Biz Live is a business radio talk show made up of business, Richmond businesses helping Richmond businesses. Okay, every week, what we do is we share our research and experience on how businesses can self-finance their growth from nothing into market leaders. We feature business owners who are recognized as experts in their field, providing the lesson you don't know when the next lesson. We all know what that school is like. Uh, the lesson you don't know when the next lesson comes, it's going to be painful. And uh, and so instead of doing that, maybe, maybe the best way to go about doing business is let's get ahead of it and talk to people who have done it before so they can do it again. Okay. How do you do that? Well, one is you can watch. Uh, you can stream us live from richmondbizlive.com. That's Richmond, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E.com, and it'll stream live audio. I mean live video. You can see us. You can listen either here on the radio broadcast, or you can stream it live uh, from the same website, richmondbizlive.com. Just click listen to us, or you can join us, and you can join us by the phone by calling 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844 B-I-Z-L-I-V-E. Okay, so all our shows are available for download. You just simply go to the website, the resources page, and within about two or three uh, hours after the show, we will have a audio uploaded there that you can download and listen to each one of the shows. If you're trying to get a context to what we're doing, I would heartily recommend that you start with show 27 of the first the first one of season where we talked about those companies that were at 80%. The first two seasons where we talked about those companies that were at 80% at break-even and companies that are beyond given, but they're saying, what's next? And then are about season reach 5%. And the business owner is saying, do I want to do this again? Or, well, do well, it's because the business will never be, I'm guaranteed that you will not be happy with what you receive in terms of getting a payment. On the other hand, why can't I just coast? Well, the, the, let's do it one more time. Why can't I just coast? Well, the, then begin to die as a company, you reinvent it or you sell it. So we're never going to talk about doing as a company. It's either do something or the be doing is I've had enough and it's time to go. Okay. okay. And to the next level. And this week and every other week starting today, we've got one, Mark Deutsch. And second, we are bringing, that's Rick Grossberg. And so I'd like to introduce what he's doing. All right. Doing well, Bill. How are you this afternoon? I am doing fine. I just did, did the impossible. So we are proud of workforce. Uh, the deal, the difference is that. <laughs> it's pretty normal, my experience. <laughs> the, 
the deal, the difference. Seventies. So, yeah. Came to Richmond. Came to Richmond. Um, I when I when I arrived and and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you kind of a statement that you can kind of hold and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you kind of a statement that you can kind of hold in the back of your head. Uh, and then you kind of a statement that you can kind of hold in the back of your head. Uh, and it's, um, th- and this particularly has to do with the, you know, I went down the hard road, road. I got yeah. lots of arrows in my back. I mean, it really was frustrating for many periods. After, for 28 years, I did it. Uh, but, but sort of the, for the people who are thinking about the selling of a business, or even for the people, that the, the value of a business is directly proportionate to the infusing. But the fact of the matter is, the less, now that sounds a little confusing, but the fact of the matter is, the less the owner, a little confusing, but the fact of the matter is, the less the owner is involved in the day-to-day management of the business, the more he can state a case for the value of the oh, business. That's, a, that's an interesting concept. It is true. It, it is very true. I'm it's not true. challenging it. It's just, you're right. It's a very almost counterintuitive. Right. And most people don't think about it in terms of, okay, someone's got money out there and they want to invest it. Well, I can invest it in a bunch of different places. I can put it, be very conservative and put it into some conservative annuities and make you know, four and a half, five percent. But if I'm going to put it really at risk, then uh, I, I need to understand I need to get a good return. Mm-hmm. And uh, the business that I'm looking for is the business that is so well managed and so well run that the, the CEO is not even there. So my money is going to be put in. I'm going to get a good return on it. And it's going to be consistent with the risk that I'm putting in. And part part of us do the journey that that how Rick and I connected was was forming researching this topic and spending right. several months working together finding out why is it so difficult for businesses to be successful especially when someone buys a business the failure rate is absurd over seventy percent of the businesses once they they bought by a new buyer they fail within wow. one year which is unacceptable so yeah, we, that is we sought out to so we created an that's a negative correlation I mean it's seventy five percent is a negative correlation it really is bad and and so all, part of our mission is how can we fix that. And through our combined experience, we created the uh, American Small Business Research Institute, uh, which folks can learn more by going to amsbury.org to learn about that entity. And there we're sharing our resources and getting together with other folks to learn from them so we can improve the process. But that's what we really found. is, And by the time someone does figure out they want to sell their business, if they haven't prepared for that exit, then their yeah. business is not going to be worth very much. And I'll have, uh, if you go to the website and you go to the Business Experts uh, tab at the website, I'll have that link activated for you guys i don't i don't i don't know if i got it done this morning so but i will have it activated at the end of the show okay so so going back to my to my story which hopefully will relate to people from my my generation i'm a baby boomer i'm 64 years old and and what i saw when i started the business probably would not make any sense to people who are trying to start a business today um so i get to richmond uh 1980 the economy is really in bad shape. To give you an idea, construction interest money was 21%, and home mortgages were almost 14%. I remember. Yes. So if you think about it today, and you compare it to then, everything stopped. As an architect, I was not able to get any kind of work. So I said, I need to start a company. Uh, and, and the criteria for starting the company is probably could be found if you read Lean Startup. I didn't call it Lean Startup. Lean Startup is what we did. You know, If you were mm-hmm. in those days, you wanted to start a business, it better be lean. Um, so, so I, I put a, put a few notes down here, and so to help you understand, and maybe some of you can relate to this, which is I, I needed to, I had virtually no cash, so I needed a low cash or no cash business. I needed a simple product because the delivery of the product, I didn't want to make it very complex. I I, I wanted to use 
and this may sound a little funny, I wanted to use the customer's money and the vendor's money as the way of financing the business. That's not, that's not crazy at all. Uh, it, it, well, I'll tell you something. It works very well. <laughs> what uh, is that, OB, uh, other people's money? That's right. Yeah, that's OBM, right. yeah. And, and to do that, I needed essentially to find something that I could do where I would get a 14-day turnaround. In other words, from the time I signed Ooh. the contract, get a deposit check, 14 days later, I'm getting final payment. So Dude, that, that was a challenge. I'll tell you what, you pull that off. Right now, I'm struggling with 41 days okay. down in Southwest Virginia. <laughs> okay. okay. So this is, this is 14 days. And so after fooling around with several things in the world of design build, we, we decided I had a partner, a guy named Bob Lytle, some of you may know. Uh, we, we, we created this idea of wooden patio decks here. Simple to understand, simple to design, simple to build, one trade. You start them one day, and you're, two days later, you're done. And we had had experience with it, and that's the birth of the concept. It really was a, a concept that was born out of need and necessity. Um, started out as called the Duck Company of Virginia, but, but what we discovered by the end, oh, I should say, by the end of the year, the name had changed to Archidec. And, and a quick footnote on logo creation for all you folks that say, well, we should buzz it 500 to $1,000 to create our logo. I, I had written a bunch of logo names down, called up my cousin who was an IP attorney, and said, you can't use any of them. They're not protectable. He says, you're an architect, you're doing decks. How about architect? That was it. I just gave you the entire creative <laughs> process right there. Cost me nothing, lasted about six seconds. Um, anyway, so, so we, we branded this concept, architect, and it was really about, it was unique because we were ending into an industry that was full of firemen, teachers, and carpenters, and yeah. people who would work on the weekend to do decks. Mm -hmm. We said, oh, hey, look, terrific. Cottage industry, we're going to professionalize it. So that, that, was, that was basically year one. Um, let's see, 1981, or a year later, uh, I had I, already started to understand that to get work done, I couldn't do anything. When we started the business, we did it. My, myself and my partner, we did everything. We, we sold it, we designed it, we did the construction, we ordered the material, everything that was done was done by two people. In, in, by 1982, Bob, who wanted to go on to do teaching, uh, left the company, I bought him out. And uh, my, my challenge was to start to incrementally break down all the things that were in my basket of what I needed to do into separate and distinct activities and define each one. Now, I didn't do this ironically with a written plan. <laughs> I just did right. it because it made sense. Right. Uh, and, and so by the end of 1982, uh, I had basically broken our process down to uh, marketing, sales, uh, documentation, construction, and administration. So if you think about it, you could assign a person to each of those things. Right. And sometimes I, used, I would do many of them myself, but uh, it, it at least started to build in my own head a way that I didn't have to get bogged down on the day-to-day -day stuff. I had someone to turn to. Right. And that's really, you know, this is, a, this is a, I, I think, a foundational component of building a business of value. If you cannot do this, if you cannot create systems that allow you to move away from the stuff that, that's busy work and it's low-value work, you're not going to be able to improve right. the value of your business. In fact, uh, the, the person, our thought leader for finance, Linda Heath, has come up with three terms. She said, you got to make the business bankable, you got to make it scalable, and you got to make it sellable. Yep. What you're talking about is that whole scalability of if, if it requires the owner, it isn't scalable. That, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we'll, by the time they get to the end of the story, you'll see what happened and why I was able to sell the business. Um, 
Uh, just quick little anecdotal stories for you folks that are out there struggling with growing a business. Uh, we needed cash in uh, about, this is 1983-85 period. We had grown a lot. You know, we, we started out our first year at like 85000 and we were up to about 500000 I needed cash because I needed to get the discount on building materials. And most people don't quite understand this. And it has to do with the fact that if you borrow, if you set up a line of credit, which you pay, let's say, 7% for, but in my case, I got 5% discount if I paid my lumber bill within five days. Right. Now, do the, do the math. Oh, yeah. And it was over 120% return on my investment by setting up a line of credit. Absolutely worth it. We uh, we are now got to business to where we're getting a three percent discount because we're paying paying our uh, suppliers in fifteen days. Easiest way in the world to make yeah. money. Um, anyway, so it, it, picking up uh, 1984, I, I did my own public relations. I got on the telephone, called a magazine called Builder Magazine, National Association of Home Builders. Three minutes. National Association of Home Builders. And uh, wound up with a great national article, and it was the explosion which really caused the concept of architect to move forward. Jumping, I'm going to take a big jump here because I've got pages of notes, but I'm not going to go over <laughs> I don't have time. Uh, the, the time came, uh, it was, I was uh, one generation into the, the, the business. I just finished reading one of Jim Collins' books, and I, and I now recognize I was at the end of the generation that he discusses, and the business we used was going to decline, was going to remain mm -hmm. flat, was going to grow, and I made the decision that I needed to sell. And that was the, sort of the middle course. Uh, I was very fortunate. The person who bought my business was actually the chairman of my company that I had recruited. Uh, he was an affluent individual. He bought it. He brought, brought in an extraordinary manager. I mean, somebody that I only read about in books. And he's <laughs> enlarged the company by probably five times. We had 80 offices. He now has five national brands, probably well over 300 locations. It's really becoming the brand of the backyard. Long story short, uh, and we could, uh, as we talk oh, today, yeah, yeah. we'll discuss After it. After the break, yeah. we, got, we got time to go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. After, uh, we can discuss how the pieces fit together in order to drive the value of the business. And I, and I think that's critical because what you're doing is you're giving a totally different perspective to what we've talked about for two seasons about how to get your company there and everything that we've been doing is about process 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 build those processes so the business can run itself so as an executive you can dabble in areas that need your attention but more importantly is you can manage the company by results because what happens in most companies is that the owner is a spoke system where the owner is the hub and everybody is a spoke well if you got six spokes you can do it you got 50 spokes, wish you luck. Right, we're at 90. There's no way the product can run 90 spokes. So then you go to a process-based company where you build the processes. Well, once you know the process in place, you don't have to pay attention to that. Now you can just look at the bottom line and say, did we make our numbers? And if the answer is no, then you pay attention to the exception. So your personal story is exactly what we've been doing for two seasons. And that's good. We're going to have an awesome time between now and the end of the year. And so with that, let me... Uh, let me take us to break here. This is richmondbizlive.com. The number is 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844-B-I-Z-L-I-V-E. And we'll be back. Hello, I'm William Eastman. You know me as the executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. In my other role as managing partner of the Growth Works, I spend time helping business owners get their companies on track and paying them back for years of investment and sacrifice. However, before I can make the necessary changes, you must answer the following question. Where are you? 
in our research, we have identified three types of small business, 80% that are just getting by, 15% who are doing okay but wondering what's next, and then there's the 5% who dominate a market or a niche, and what they're wondering is, how do I break out? So I pose the question to you, where are you? If you want to understand this question and the significance of the answer better, go to our membership site, growthworks.net, and download our paper on where are you. Learn how to move from the 80% to the 15 and from the 15 to the 5%. This level of success and profitability is within your reach. Gain the advantage over your competitors by downloading it today. And this is Richmond Biz Live coming to you live. I guess obviously that's a, a dub entendre there from the studios of WLE News Talk 990. And I'm coming back into the studio. This is our segment on buying and selling a business. And uh, we've got our two thought leaders with us. One is Mark uh, Deutsch uh, from the American Small Business Institute. I got that right. And I have to get that in my working memory because, you know, sometimes sometimes thinking and talking, it can be difficult. And, I, you know, I started today. I was kind of there. Also, I have Rick Grossberg in here who is a very successful entrepreneur who is now talking about how he sold his business. So he's been relating a great story. And what we're going to do is we're going to weave it together on the major issues that you can expect over the next five sessions that we'll do together. And by the way, if you want to know, you want to look at your program guide, it's available to you at richmondbizlive.com. Uh, go to the resources page and you'll see the program guide for season three. So Rick, you haven't finished the story, so go there. Well, I, I kind of jumped to the end a little bit prematurely, so let me go back and, and look at my notes. <laughs> well, and, and also, I think we've so you were off by one word with our tagline: "Close American Small Business oh. Research Institute." Institute. Okay, so very, very, very close. Thank I didn't you. have it written in front of me. I won't make that mistake again. And maybe, Rick, if you could, one of the other points we're going to make for the rest of the season for our segments, we're going to be talking about the different elements that build the increase the sellability yeah. of your business, and also look at the buyability. Is a business worth buying? So we're going to look at both sides of that equation. So maybe thinking about some of the points we talked about earlier between ourselves, some of the key elements that are in the business as it relates to your story, I think, some of the things you put in place, such as as you started to talk about, Bill, the processes and what other elements you think help increase the value of a business. Well, I, it, it does. It all comes back to this issue of what, what, I refuse, what I refer to as do you have an owner-centric business or do you have a systems-centric business? The system-centric business is, of course, what you're trying to achieve because the owner who's at the center of that hub falls out, the, the whole wheel falls apart. Uh, another way I, I have people understand it is that I say, are you trying to create a practice or are you trying to create a business? Think about it, a practice, traditional practice model, physician, attorney. Yeah. It's really all based on that one person. And they're so, they're solopreneurs. They're not entrepreneurs. They're solopreneurs. Right, right. right. And, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with right. being a practitioner if that's what you want to do. That's it. Be clear about what you are doing. Right, right. And, and P.S., it, it, historically, practices are typically not sold. They're passed on to the next generation when they come and work. It's just, or they're liquidated. Right, or they're liquidated. Or yeah. they just close it, yeah. which is another possibility. Um, so so there, there are a variety of anecdotal stories that relate back to this building of value what I think I'll do, though, is stick to this sort of my story because it's what people relate to. Yeah. Uh, and, for instance, um, we, we got by year number five, we had started franchising, uh, which, was a, which was a challenge right there. Uh, I mean, we, we tried everything. <laughs> we tried joint ventures and sharing corporations and subcontract relationships. 
But after opening up offices, a couple of offices up down the East Coast, I found myself on a plane flying up to talk to a customer in Rockland County, New York, and I said, this is not the way to do this business. Significant for value. Why? I accidentally created a model of growth for the business that inherently had a lot more value. In this case, mm -hmm. it was franchising. Because when, when you look, when you're, if you're a buyer, and of course, I'm in the, in the next level up of, of buying and selling a business because we created a national brand. But, but this is what people look for. They, they say, how can I grow this business? What is your, where's, what's your vision, Mr. Owner? Where, where is mm -hmm. your vision statement? Where's your pro forma budget? Where's your business plan? Because I, I'm not, unless I'm getting into the business because I want to generate a, sort of an income, which is nothing wrong with that. If I'm looking for a business that I can grow and to make very valuable, it must have some sort of, these elements of growth need to be there. And again, whether it's a franchise or it's a clonable model or it's a service that has scalability, something needs to be there. And it accidentally, as it turned out with Architect, it was, was franchise. That's what gave it the value. Yeah, I think I, a lot of people struggle yeah. with that because I had a conversation with a, a great local business owner here yesterday with Endorphin Fitness. Mm -hmm. And they're facing this re real challenge now where they've got great opportunities to explode their growth and they're facing the decision of do we build it, do we buy it? How do we get into the markets? Do we hire agents? Do we franchise? Do we license? How do we expand? So that's a, a critical decision, I think, in any it business is. who's looking at an exit at any point in the future. Because there are businesses you can't franchise. Right. Like where I'm in Southwest Virginia, that's not, you know, that's a, that's a decision to build another plant someplace else. Right. There's right. no way to franchise that. On the other hand, you had a model that anybody who had the skills, if they use your system, could make it work and make it very profitable. Right. And ironically... When we went through those early years of experimentation, we first thought that a good franchisee would be someone who came from the construction industry, a, a carpenter who wants to figure out how to make money, how to grow a business, and we were wrong. Uh, and so uh, a little anecdotal story, our most successful franchisee who actually was able to generate in excess of $7 million a year in sales for building decks came out of ABC television. He was one of the senior producers. He got tired of ABC. He, he went down and he was working on the, some project in Charlotte, noticed our ad, called us up, and absolutely extraordinary. And set all sorts of sales records. But the point is this, getting back to the franchise model, it was something that one person needed to drive this engine. It was a, it was a business that you needed to understand it. You didn't need to have all the skills necessary to do it because that's what a franchisor does. They mm -hmm. teach all the systems and they teach all the skills. It's a, in fact, the word in franchising is that a franchise or must provide a brand that you can promote on a local right. market. And they must provide operating systems, and that's in documented and teachable format. And then they must provide support. And that means available on the telephone. You know, we, if you're having an issue, just call us. Yeah. And, and we supported, and the, and the irony is that we, we hadn't recognized that Architect was a rather support-intensive business. We had, um, uh, at one point, probably, our, our peak was about 100 offices. When I left the business, we had about 80 offices. But we had 30 people at headquarters supporting right. 80 offices. Right. I want you to think about the ratio there. That's, that's like you know half a person per franchisee. And so it was very, it, it turned out to be for a very uh, an expensive process to support the franchisees, but a great foundation to grow a national company. That's right. That's right. So probably what happened is that that model worked the larger you got, and that was with the gentleman who bought it out probably recognized that if I tripled the size of this, now the economies of scale are such that you were making good money, he was going to make awesome money. 
he, he in fact, turned out to be a strategic buyer, which people have heard about strategic yeah. buyers. Well, his name is Mark Mullins. I recruited him. At the time, he was CEO of a company called Paul Davis Systems that was based in Florida, and, and he was a terrific thinker. And I recruited him, and ultimately, as I said, he became chairman. He went up to set up another company, which he sold and which allowed him to buy my company. But um, it was a uh, – the, the topic here is the value of bringing on someone from the outside who can share and understand because of their experience and how to build value in your business. He saved us millions of dollars. Yeah. He saved uh, us millions and shortened the time enormously. I I can see that that's probably pretty close to my role as vice president at this company is even though I'm not buying them out. Um, and I have no experience in making what we make is I have a lot of making those type of things run profitably. Mm -hmm. And so actually not knowing anything, I don't have any bad habits, which I, I suspect by not hiring anybody who are professional carpenters is that they would say, Oh, you shouldn't do it that way. You should do it my way. And of course, the second you go your own way, you're not in a franchise. Right. Right, right, right. Well, Rivergate, maybe to touch on just a minute, yeah. how, did, how did you find him? Oh, so well, how, okay. how did you yeah. identify well, an well, individual? Here, here's a skill set that hopefully all entrepreneurs out there have picked up on, uh, and it is what I refer to as how do I attach myself to thought leaders in the industry and then maintain communication with them because it's amazing the amount of value that they bring to the, to the table. So when the internet was around, because remember I started before the internet, I started before fax machines. You know, I think it was smoke signals when we were starting. Come on uh, now, uh, let's, uh, let's not date ourselves that badly there, dude. So we, uh, I got on that telephone, I'm, I'm very comfortable just calling anybody. And, I, and Paul Davis Systems is a well-known name in the franchising world. I, I got on the telephone, I said, who's the owner or CEO of this business? It's Mr. Mullins, is he in? And they put me through and he turned out to be a stellar, I mean just, First time on the telephone, we spent two hours together. Wow. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But um, what what was the point? <laughs> so I'm wondering, as any yeah. business ought to be thinking about if they're looking to exit, oh, oh, yeah, yes, do yes, I bring yeah. in professional management to help me out? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, the more people that can bring you can bring onto your board of advisors or your board, the higher the perceived value of the business is going to be. Because if I'm a person looking at the business, you as the owner, you need to you need to promote this, but you need to say, and on our board are the following people. And by properly explaining their relationship to the business and where they sit in the industry, you know, you'll add another multiple right there. Wow. So, uh, you know, so this whole issue about networking. Duly noted. Big supporter <laughs> of networking. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a lot about Duly that too, as far as how to network and yeah. build your team and what that team should look like you're surrounding yourself with yeah. to, again, increase the, the value of your business. Um, a little, another little anecdotal story is, um, uh, for all you folks, because it does have, uh, it, the way it relates to value improvement is that when you get very fragile as a franchisor, where was a point where we were spending more money than bringing money in. And I went, Oh my God, we can't make payroll. What am I going to do? I need a partner. <laughs> and in this case, it was a partner that was going to be a cash partner. And I went, Hmm, as I said, I'm a networker. So I called up a company. Uh, called Coppers Corporation in Pittsburgh. They sold a product called Woolman, which is, some people remember Womanized Wood. Uh, and I said, I needed someone to provide us with building materials that fit our profile. And they said, sure, we'll help you. They gave me three names. The very first company that I called up, I explained what I was doing. And then I slipped into a conversation about what Architect was about. The next day, they sent up their vice president of sales on their private aircraft to sit down and talk to me. And within two weeks, there was an offer on the table to be our partner. So 
why value? Because I could have, I saw the horizon. <laughs> we were really struggling and there was not a whole lot of money coming in. I'm going, what am I going to do? Maybe I can get a local investor, but if I don't bring an investor in, I don't know how we're going to take off. So it was a strategic plan. It was find a strategic partner. And ideally the strategic partner will share our viewpoint. They did enormously. Uh, and so, uh, you know, six months later we were growing because we had the capital to be able to hire right. people and do the marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's a great story because what happens to the business, you get to that inflection point where suddenly you've outstripped, growth has outstripped cash supply. And we talked about that last season is that the greatest danger, uh, if you got accelerated growth in company, the greatest danger is the structure of working capital is that you look profitable on the books, but there is no money in the scar right, box. Right, right. And yeah. it's real easy. And, and in fact, small business people always are confused looking at a financial statement when they see a bunch of revenue coming in on the selling side, but they don't see any cash in the bank. Yeah. And they forget that it's all tied up in receivables, it's tied up in inventory, it's, it's tied up in the many different things that you need to have cash available to be able to run the business. I, I would say that one of the things that I would add to that uh, before Mark talks about the upcoming season is this, is that if the owner wanted something to do after they got their processes running, is manage the business strictly from a cash flow perspective. In fact, my last couple months at the plant, now that I've got lean and we got the other things done, is looking at managing all the workflows from a perspective of cash. Yeah, and that is a kind of a special science unto itself. It has a separate reporting process that goes with it. And, uh, but, but significantly in the world of construction, cash flow management is the top report we look at. Because what you're doing is you need to be able to make payroll, you need to be able to pay for your building materials because otherwise you get shut off. And of course you need to be able to do weekly payroll because subcontractors or, or contractors that work for you, you don't get a paycheck, they're gone. And you can't afford to do that. Th that that's right because they are living all your, almost, you got to assume every sub is living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. Absolutely. And everybody that works for that sub is living paycheck to paycheck. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, the, the issue of cash flow again, specifically in construction, very, very important. But I would suggest that it's, it's important. Now, I'll add another point, that when you do your process of monitoring your business, we use the thing called the job costing, but it's applicable to every business. Yeah. It's reducing it down to the granular level. What am I selling and what's my gross profit? Because if you suddenly discover that you're selling something and that you needed to generate a continual 35% gross margin, and on this item, you're only getting a 15% margin, better figure out what to do. Yeah. In fact, Linda Heath in season one and two, we have talked a lot about activity-based costing to get at that because otherwise you don't know small businesses as we aggregate cost. And so at the end of the day, you only know if you made money, but if you go, well, where do we lose it? You can't find it yep. without this. Yep. 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 And, and again, it's, it's construction franchising, but it was when we talked to franchisees and we educated franchisees, we used to say, if you didn't do anything else, to monitor the performance of your business, do your job costing, and don't do it at the end of the month. Do it the day the crew walks in and says, we're done, boss. Uh, we, we even have the check from the customer. You immediately do your job costing. Yep. You just don't know how you're gonna do it. And what we did is that we actually worked with our lumber yard because they sent us, they faxed us, they were finally getting the fax. They faxed <laughs> us the invoice for the building material we ordered within an hour as opposed to the end of the month. So within a very short period of time, I knew whether I was making money, losing money, yeah. or if I was losing money, what to do about it. 
Got it. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to this season. This is going to be killer because I'm picking up a few things that I didn't know, and you're reinforcing some of the stuff I'm living with. So, Mark, tell me a little bit about what we can expect. Sure. Uh, this com- next upcoming season, season. We're, we're going to have, as you said, we're going to have a great time. We're going to cover a lot of the elements that that Rick shared in his story today. In addition to, we're going to seek out through a lot of relationships uh, each of the folks have on the show special guests. So during other segments as well as our own segments, we'll bring in experts that we know from around the country that have expertise in certain subject matter areas uh, in terms of how to really establish high value for your company and also how to make sure you're buying a company that's likely to be successful. So we'll look at a lot of the things we talked about today. So each week we're going to, each other week, we're going to focus on how to build a business, not a practice, uh, how to make sure you're looking at a business you enjoy, how to surround yourself with the right team that we touched on today, uh, how to make sure you're keeping great records, what kind of records you should be keeping, how to do job costing or cost accounting, I think, and, yep. and supplement some of the things that Linda's already covered, uh, how to plan for it, how to create the business plan going forward, how to create your exit plan going forward. So we'll do our best to touch on every one of those elements to leave the end of the season with all the tools necessary, again, to sell your company for maximum value or how to buy a company that's highly likely to succeed. I'll, I'll add to that that doing our studies, you come across fascinating data, information, criteria, and, and one of them actually came from Linda, who said that most people don't understand that in the world of small business, small business being $2.5 million or less in sales, that at any one time, if you took a snapshot, approximately 80% of those businesses are, have to be carefully monitored because they're only days, weeks, or months away potentially from not having the capital to work on. And 20% of the businesses, they're okay. It means that the owners are not only paying themselves, but they don't have to sweat it at the end of the week. That's right. And in fact, that's where we got the uh, the 80-15-5 model is that then if you take that 20%, that's really two populations. One is the market dominators, the people at the top of the pyramid who are making, who are like you were, making cash, really making great money. And the 15% who are poised and they're saying to somebody, themselves at least, what do I do next? And so... The one thing I want to leave everybody with as, as we move on to the next segment is this. When we get to show 39, that's three quarters, three seasons. If you wanted an MBA on how to grow a company, on how to grow it and how to sell it, you'll have that MBA by listening to basically 39 segments. We've got a couple ebooks on their way out, so you'll be able to pick up, and basically they're going to be offered to our listeners for free. So, I mean, if you think about it, this is the true open source of all time is Radio was open source before anybody came up with the idea of mm-hmm. open source software. Absolutely. So with that, I'd like to thank uh, my two new partners. Rick, thanks for coming in the studio. Thank you. Really insightful, and it's great to have a great entrepreneur in here. And, and, of course, an old friend of mine, Mark Deutsch. And finally, we get a chance to work together, and I'm looking forward to the next five Absolutely. shows we do together. With that, we'll go to break, and we'll come back. This is RichmondBizLive.com. Hi, I'm Mark Deutsch. And I work with small businesses to connect them with the resources they need to succeed. Whether that's as a CEO of the largest business referral network in Virginia, BNI, or as a co-founder of Richmond's Community Center for Entrepreneurs, Gangplank RVA, or as a partner in several other small businesses, I'm a seasoned entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience whose passion and purpose is creating jobs by creating successful small business owners. Learn more about me and my many adventures at markdeutsch.com. Hello, I'm William Eastman. You know me as the executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. 
In my other role as managing partner of the Growth Works, I spend time helping business owners get their companies on track and paying them back for years of investment and sacrifice. However, before I can make the necessary changes, you must answer the following question. Where are you? In our research, we have identified three types of small business, 80% that are just getting by, 15% who are doing okay but wondering what's next, and then there's the 5% who dominate a market or a niche, and what they're wondering is, how do I break out? So I pose the question to you, where are you? If you want to understand this question and the significance of the answer better, go to our membership site, growthworks.net, and download our paper on where are you. Learn how to move from the 80% to the 15 and from the 15 to the 5%. This level of success and profitability is within your reach. Gain the advantage over your competitors by downloading it today. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live on WLE News Talk 990 in beautiful downtown Richmond. What a great Friday fall day. Okay. We, I, I kind of got blown away because I've been doing this for a long time. I don't mean radio, but I mean the whole consulting area where I've either been a consultant in a company or running my own business. And I've been, uh, I'm on my sixth startup right now. And also going out as an executive in a number of firms, uh, helping them turn their business around and grow it. And so every once in a while, I run into somebody who teaches me something that profoundly I didn't, I didn't know. And it's, I'm looking forward to working with Mark and uh, Rick because I think I'm going to have that type of education. So an owner is executive. And just to, for the people who have not listened to other, other shows or segments, the goal here is that most owners don't understand that as the company grows, their role changes. And so what happens is they stay, um, they stay within what they're comfortable with, known as the founder trap, and suddenly the company can't get any bigger, cannot grow, uh, because the owner cannot grow or the, co the owner won't allow the business to get any bigger. And so I put this segment in here to say, hey, if you had a corporate job and you work your way through the ranks, this is the stuff you would have learned. So let me uh, short, let me shortcut the education. Uh, I've talked about this in the past, but what I want to do is I want to do a little primer on leadership and management. And what struck me with this is what we just went through here recently uh, at my my facility down in Salem, Virginia, is that we, we just finished doing the impossible in terms of a production uh, schedule that management screwed up and the, and the workforce saved their butts. Uh, but basically, it reinforced the issue of what is truly leadership in a company. Now, to me, let me kind of define leadership and management. One is leadership is kind of like marketing. It's a poll. You, you've, got, you've got something that you're trying to take people to, and you're trying to attract them or pull them to it. Management is basically a push through the system. Um, you know, you're, you're going to run a sale on a particular item um, and you do the advertising. That's like leadership. People go to the store. But then you offer incentive to the, to the retailers to cover your goods. And so you put an incentive to push it through the system. That's more like management. And the goal of leadership is really to create an end game. So everybody has absolute clarity about what it is we're trying to accomplish. And management, if I had to define it in the same simplistic terms, Management is the process of aligning people to achieve that end. Now, I'm going to focus on the leadership piece. And this is something that I became aware of, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago when I was working at the Coast Guard's Leadership and Management School. I was the school chief at the time, and we were developing some new leadership materials for military leaders, especially uh, our flag rank officers, our admirals. And I was doing research um, that was that was uh, coincided with stuff that Warren Bennis was doing, Tom Peters was doing, and a number of the other big players uh, of, of the time, uh, Bernard Bass. 
And what we came up with was basically a five-part model. We said, if you look at the most effective leaders, and I'm going to use some examples uh, as I do this, what would you see? Well, let me give you the five, and I'll take you through it. Number one is that they're visionaries, or they have a vision, a compelling vision of the future that's positive. Number two is they have focus in terms of how they manage their time. The only thing that they do is they focus in on those items that they consider to be critical. Number three, they embody it. They are it. When you are in doubt about what, what it is we're trying to do around here, you just look up the organization and they're living at, so it makes it easy for you to basically say, I can role model. Number four is that they constantly communicate it. They're constantly talking about it, and it's different from focus. Focus is, if this is what I say we're doing as a company, this is what occupies my time. Communication is, this is all I ever talk about, and I'm clear in my communication so people can see what we're doing. And then the last one is empowerment. And what empowerment basically means is giving everybody a turn at the lens, giving everybody an opportunity to look at that vision and kind of build it into their, in the, in, into their, into what they're trying to achieve. Okay, so visionaries. Let, let's take a couple of people uh, and positive visionaries, negative visionaries. Uh, I can I can think of two right now: one political and one not political, one social. Martin Luther King, a uh, great visionary about how he saw the country, and I don't think there's a person in the United States who has lived through that period of time, who's not familiar with with his statement. If you encapsulated everything that Dr. King was doing, it all came down to that we were going to judge people by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. And so that was his dream. Very positive, very compelling. And let's face it, that that vision, that statement was not designed for African-Americans because they already, they already knew what the hell was going on because they were on the receiving end of it. He was out to change the hearts of the people he had to change, the people in power those of us who are of the Caucasian uh, race, whether that comes from Europe or someplace else, South America. And so he's a great visionary, and he changed. What Look at what between 1955, when he really became active, and his death in 1968. This is a different country. And we certainly would not have had a black governor, Doug Wilder, in 1989, or a black president, um, Barack Obama, in 2009. So... You can see how that positive vision works. Ronald Reagan was the same type. And he had a vision about what he was trying to create and that people who could see that. And if you, you know, if you go back to, if you remember that period of time in 1980 when the voting came out, there were people who did not support any of his policies but voted for Reagan because, of, as opposed to uh, President Carter, they knew what Reagan stood for. The, the second issue here on focus is simply is that you, you've got to make this the priority of how you manage your time. If this is what you're trying to create, then all the things that you do and all the things you pay attention to have to equal that because people watch how you spend your time. And if you say, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to build a lean facility here. We're going to go with lean manufacturing, and this is the way we're going to go into the future. And then I don't do anything around trying to change the problems around it, and people are going to go, it's just rhetoric, it's just words. So the focus has to do with sticking to it and making sure that if I looked at the bulk of my day, if I pull out my day timer or some way of tracking what I do during the day and I look at the bulk of my time, has it been moving in the direction of the vision? Now, the third one is embodiment. And it struck me last night is that we in management at this plant agreed to a production schedule that we really couldn't honor. Now, we didn't do it on purpose because it, it wasn't obvious to us because it was a brand new client with a brand new process. And we applied it. We applied the standards that we do with our current accounts and we easily could have done the work. But then as we, we got it, it was one of those um, expanding onions. Every time you peeled it, it got bigger. 
And so what it came down to is we should not have been able to produce in the last three weeks what we produced. And yet in three segments, uh, we did that. And one of the ways that we did that is the entire management team, myself included, were, or we were doing the physical labor alongside of everybody else. And at nine o'clock last night, when we loaded that truck, there were about 25 of us. Now there's only 50 people in the plant, approximately 25 of them were there. Everybody who is in executive or management roles in this particular part of the business were there loading the truck as well. You see, that's how people go. I see where they're taking this company. I see what they're about. If you don't live it, you know, as parents, you know, this as well is that if, if your view of leadership is do as I say, not as I do, you're lost. You must do as you say. And so embodiment is people are going, well, how do you want me to act? Well, then they look at you to go, this is how I'm supposed to act. The next one, communication, has to do with everything that I, every time I talk to people, um, I, I, there's a couple of things I have to do. One is I have to communicate with some sort of clarity. I have to use common vocabulary. I can't talk over people's heads. I mean, kind of the common stuff I think all of us know. Um, and the clarity is required because I want people to be able to look, see that vision uh, through my eyes so that I can trust that as they begin to modify it, which is when I get to the next one, that they got some sense of this. But more importantly with communication, it's just not the clarity is that simply everything I do, when I talk to people, whether I send out a letter of correspondence, I have an all-hands meeting, I send out emails, I meet one-on-one -on -one with people, everything that I do has to be related to that vision. Every communication I have. For example, the one thing that I ask everybody in the plant every single day, every person I talk to, there is some variation of how I say it, but I ask everybody what what obstacles are in your way from doing a good job? Now I have a variation of that, but my job is to find out what an obstacle is and make it go away, which now takes me into the management section. So that's the issue of communication is everything I do is around that. And then finally an empowerment empowerment simply means they, I've got at some point trust them to do it. And that's how you can tell when you go from being just a leader of an organization to a leader of a movement. Now, I don't mean a movement necessarily, a social movement uh, like Dr. King started, but that's a good example of one because you, you start a social movement within your company or within your plant. But what I have to do is I, if I've done the first four, then what I have to do is empower people to interpret that vision as it makes sense to them so that they can go day to day and do their jobs in a way that is now going in the same direction. So, and in reality, I'm beginning to gain some alignment with those individuals. And, and so what I mean by this, probably the bottom line is unless somebody is scrutinized 24, uh, 24 hours a day, that's we almost worked that, uh, somebody scrutinized, let's say the eight hours they're in and you got a supervisor on top of them all eight hours and watching what they're doing. People have moments, many moments every day, what I call the discretionary decision points. They have, a, they have the ability to make a decision about what they're going to do next. If they understand the first four, what do I want them to do? I want them, number one, to go in that direction. And then number two, I want them to make the right decision. And if they understand how we're going to get there and what we're trying to accomplish, I can trust that the people in the organization are going to make the right decisions when they're on their own, when they're running their own processes. I mean, we couldn't have pulled this off if our working supervisors, our guys on the floor who are running those cells, did not have the vision of what we were trying to create, and it was driving in that direction. And we're doing it in a way, um, you know, you can take out the whip and whip people for a bit, 
but it doesn't work long time. But they were doing it in a way that was compatible to what we're trying to create. You can look at a number of business leaders. Jack Welch did this at GE. Um, you can look at political leaders. You can look at negative political leaders. For example, Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler did an excellent job of doing this because think about it. Unlike Stalin, who came to power through the Communist Party, and basically it was imposed on the Russian people, Adolf Hitler was elected in 1933. He was elected. Now, he didn't win. His party didn't win all of the popular vote, but he was elected by the German people. And probably up till 1936, 1937, he had a very favorable rating. And certainly probably until the war came home to the Germans in 1940, late 41, early 42, when they were getting bombed, he probably would have won a plebiscite. It, if, they, if the people in the country could have voted their consciences. Um, so this is, this is neutral in terms of who's doing it. But this is the rules that we have developed. Be a visionary. Create a compelling end game that's positive that people can see. Focus all your energy on making sure that what you do every day is heading that direction. Number three is your role model. You are it. When everybody, when anybody's in doubt about what to do, they watch you and they watch your behavior. Everything you do, everything you communicate, everything you say, it may, it may begin to sound old. You got to say it. You got to say it. You got to say it. And finally, empowerment is you got to give everybody a turn at the lens. You've kind of painted the picture you can for them. Now what they've got to do is got to make their vision their own. If you do that, you'll start a movement, whether we're talking a movement socially or we'll talk about a movement within your business. So anyway, that's this week's show, and I'm really excited about our third season. Next week we're going to be back with Linda, Mike, Patrick, and Andy talking about what do you do when you are trying to reinvent your company. So with that, wealth and prosperity to all our listeners, and have a great day. Is it time for your business to pay it back? Hello, I'm William Eastman, executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. And if this is your challenge as a business owner, then don't miss a single show. Either listen live at 10 o'clock every Saturday on WLEE News Talk 990 or download our podcast at richmondbizlive.com. Every show, we tackle those issues in marketing, sales, people, customers, and finance that are limiting your success. If it's time to get paid back for your years of investment and sacrifice, join us this Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Biz Live.